0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Some inspiration coming over this next hour as we think about making transitions to a new phase of our lives so that we can experience greater purpose, adventure and even joy. So lots of us need some inspiration right now in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic that's upset many jobs and career prospects. Well, we'll be unpacking today how to get unstuck from a job you hate so you can pursue a life and career of impact and adventure. Well, our special guest today likes to describe the idea of being stuck in your career as being like having a Groundhog Day experience, going through the same motions every day. Well, some of us might hate our jobs or careers. Others may have no job right now at all. And others might be thankful to have any job. But some of us might have dreams that have been on the back burner because of a fear of stepping out and doing something different. Others may be at a turning point because of the current economic downturn and you want some inspiration for setting a new direction. I think there's something in a conversation we'll have today, no matter where you might be in your career pursuits and at such a time as this is with the economic challenges that we face in our nation. Our special guest today is John Sycamore. John grew his financial services business to 65 offices across Australia and then sold it for around $40 million to an ASX-backed company. Since then, he's made it his life's mission to help Australians pursue their passions and find greater meaning in their careers. So it is a careers conversation today that I want to invite you to be a part of. John Sycamore is the Executive Chairman of Half-Time Australia, and he's the author of the book, Enriched, Redefining Wealth. John Sycamore, a special welcome along to 2020.
1: It's my pleasure, Neil, to be with you this morning and John, your listeners.
0: Always love our conversations, and I suspect there'll be a lot of listeners. And as I said in the introduction, Uh, often at different places in their career, and some feeling a little bit derailed right now. And I wonder whether if we're going to have a a sort of a conversation about, uh, you know, if you hate your job, how do you get unstuck from that? Well, some people right now will be thinking, uh, I'd be glad to have a job at all. Uh, This conversation we're having today is really about sort of a strategy approach, no doubt. But what are your thoughts for people who are at different places in their career as we speak today?
1: Uh, yes, certainly the, the, the virus has really uh, thrown a spanner in the works and um, yeah, some people uh, are out of work. Some are actually working from home and having time to think, I'm actually not that happy in my job or career anyway and actually having more time to reflect. So I think there uh, are two sides to this story and um, if you, the government have been fantastic... With providing financial support, I'm I'm not sure what other countries around the world have done, but, like you know, I think this has been a, a very good thing that people haven't had to go on unemployment and and get the uh, the, the funds that the government have actually paid um, up to up to date and for a little while longer. So, um, but yeah, what uh, how how would you handle this current situation? I think we we have to look at it that a job is or a career is is a component of our life and it's not our total life. So really what we love to talk about at half-time is thinking about, well, what's my bigger purpose and what's my greater purpose? And the job or career is usually a vehicle to that because statistics or research has shown that people, when they're on their deathbed, rarely say, I wish I'd spent more time at work or built a bigger company or had more staff or whatever. It's usually uh, much more about other things. So it does give us an opportunity to get in the helicopter um, and look at our lives uh, differently. So that would be um, the positive. But, yeah, there's a whole lot of things that I could say, but I'm not sure, you know, probably best to to unpack this as as we go along. But certainly um, most people will say that um, if I only had more time and more money, I could do what I've always really wanted to do, but I can't because of a lack of time or money but usually that can also be an excuse because even before corona and, and my own story was very much about that and I find when I'm sitting down with people this lack in time of money is usually because we're not looking up, we're, we're looking more down and we're allowing some of the other issues in life that need that addressing uh, to not be addressed
0: we'll come to your story in just a few moments and get you to recount some of those things that are really meaningful for the conversation today Uh, but let me come to this idea that I mentioned in the introduction you use the words Groundhog Day uh, the idea of going through the motions every day and discontentment and uh, here we go again uh, that's really the feeling that so many people have in their careers, because they don't have this same adventure and purpose and joy that you talk about. Uh, give us some insights here into that expression, Groundhog Day.
1: Well, Groundhog Day is uh, a movie that talks about that, where um, a person's uh, you know going to work every day and um, going on the same route, passing the same people, saying good day. Um, buying a coffee at the same coffee place, um, going to the same desk and and just repeating this day after day and, and just getting so frustrated. And so the whole Groundhog Day feeling is is usually it's, it's about feeling helpless or powerless or a sense of I'm trapped and I can't get out of this predicament because of a whole range of things. But I really want to make some changes, but I, I don't really know what they are. So procrastination tends to happen when we're unclear of what we should do next. And also we haven't been able to work out the steps to get us from where we are now. So there are many people that um, are stuck in that Groundhog Day feeling if they're really honest. But the thing is, if you earn enough money and it pays the bills, Um, and you're getting by, um, people have an aversion to change. Um, I mean, we we get early adopters, but most people are adverse to change unless they can be very clear that change is going to help you be better off, but sometimes be better off. You've got to go backwards before you can go forwards, and this uncertainty and going backwards is the challenging area. And even as Christians, we're taught to take steps of faith and trust God. I'm finding many business people I'm coaching, they want all the ducks lined up and want everything uh, clear and set up properly before they'll make change, which then would say, well, where's the faith component in this?
0: No doubt we'll get to talk about taking a risk and what that takes. But let me just ask you about attitudes for a few moments here, because I know that there'll be significant difference in attitudes, an array of attitudes across the Christian community as we're talking to today. Sometimes there's this idea, but we're Christians, John. We're supposed to be content in a job we hate, aren't we? Uh, What do we do with the idea of having an aspiration to have a career that is filled with adventure and joy and uh, and those sorts of issues Uh, what do you say to Christians with an attitude of you know just just get used to it suck it up and uh, and get on with the job you hate
1: well I think there's two parts to that certainly as Christians you know uh, Paul took we've got to be content in all things and he was even in jail and he could still do what God called him to do but Really, I think there is a, um, often people put guilt on us, even at a church and say, I want you to do this task, or help out here, and people that do it out of duty. I think we've got to come back to the Bible and look at gifts. We've all been given different gifts and different abilities, and I believe God has, uh, and we talk about that, uh, that God's created good works in advance for us to do in Ephesians two ten part B, and so... I think we really are allowed to use our gifts and our skills and our passions in a way that we will get fulfillment. But the question is, many of us go through the motions of Christianity um, or we haven't got clarity yet around our calling. And often if you ask a Christian, what is your calling, they actually haven't got clarity other than, I want to live a good Christian life and keep the Ten Commandments. I want to go to church. I want to give money to God. I, I want to help my neighbor. I want to love my neighbor, etc. But if we look at, and that's fairly generic, but really, if you look at Ephesians 2.10, it actually says that we, uh, God created good works in advance for us to do. And so, and and part A of that Bible text in the New Living Translation says we are God's masterpiece. So I find invariably people I coach and mentor, and I coach and mentor a number of CEOs, that often um, we are we have doubt and fear, which is crippling. And I believe that's not the Holy Spirit that's creating doubt and fear, but I believe that's the evil one who who's who's about doing that. And so I think there is a a, a really important, and I use the example that. Um, if we talked about a masterpiece, what would a masterpiece um, of a house look like in Perth or Sydney or Brisbane or Melbourne or Adelaide, in the capital, Hobart, whatever, um, usually it would be, in today's language, it, it wouldn't be under $5 million. Um, if we looked at a Rembrandt, um, I think this, that's selling currently for about $300 million, the painting, that's called a masterpiece. Not everything's called a masterpiece, but if... if if we look at New Living Translation, it says we are, we are God's masterpiece. So I find that we are our own worst enemy. And I think we should be able to work with our passions and our gifts, but we do need to go through seasons. It's a bit like a farmer who buys a plot of land. First of all, he's got to clear it and pull the trees down or whatever, and uh, move rocks. And there's some heavy lifting. And often we do need to go backwards and go forwards. And I, I find people often don't want to pay the price. And that that is a problem. And, be it, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. All of us to get ahead, sometimes we've got to. We've got to. Well, some people got to go and study and become a doctor. They have to do a normal degree and then extra years. And uh, but if that's what your dream and your vision is, that's you'll have to pay those prices. So it's no pain, no gain. So um, maybe that sounds a bit tough, Neil. But um, I think that's the challenge we have. But it's hard to move forward. If we lack clarity. So, first of all, we've really got to stop and work on what is my calling. And we use at half time the language is, uh, yeah, we, we've really got to, uh, it's almost like archaeology. We've actually got to dig into our past, spend some time and look at what, when God has spoken to us, when we have had clarity. And we've really got to try and work on um, making eye contact with God and getting a unique assignment from Him. And Colossians 1 talks about that for those who are keen on working out, you know, is that biblical? Yeah. It, it, in Colossians 1, Paul says, I'm in jail, but I'm still on assignment. And um, um, I'm in jail. Cha- I was reading it this morning um, in Ephesians about um, in Melbourne here, we've got to wear masks. And I'm thinking, I don't want to wear a mask. And. I don't want to wear a mask every time I go out. And I thought, gee, but Paul, he's actually in jail and he's in chains. So I'd sooner have a mask than be and have chains and be in jail and and doing my assignment.
0: Interesting is uh, what I'm hearing coming from your heartbeat is even in hard times, that ought not to quench the aspirations that we might have, uh, because no doubt there are opportunities that are created in hard times too. A lot of people are saying, John, 2020, I can't wait till the end of 2020. This is just a dreadful year. I hope it goes away quickly. As you reflect on seasons, though, and unsettling conditions, uh, the idea that the normal has been disturbed, uh, that we can be filled with doubts and fear, is there a Christian attitude there in unsettling times that we need to dig a little bit deeper? I mean, I love the way you talk about making eye contact with God. Uh, this idea that it's an individual thing that we all need to respond to here, but uh, but we all ought to be uh, in touch with God and looking for his purpose. What are your thoughts about the unsettling times and, and if there is a Christian attitude or something that we can dig deeper in because we are people with faith in Christ? Yeah,
1: well... Um you know, certainly in unsettling times, it's human nature. I mean, we, we go for creature comforts. And in our Western culture, I mean, we're, we've had a lot of toys that we now see as normal. And so we, human nature, as soon as we may, as soon as we're uncomfortable, we complain and, and think about good old times or where we'd like to be. But I really think there's a deeper issue here that, we need to address, and and that is, we, we at half time talk about discontent. I mean, we get frustrated because we're tired and we're bored and we're stressed, and we can be waking up and going to bed and feeling a bit off, and we can be in denial about what the real problem is. And and um, I think the Bible talks about we need to love our neighbour as ourselves, and really the inference there is we actually need to love ourselves first, and I think we're not doing that, and that comes back to seeing ourselves as... Um, a masterpiece, but identifying the discontent beyond I'm just unhappy in this job or I'm not happy with my pay or uh, I haven't been promoted and it's not fair um, and I'm, I'm wanting something more. I think as a Christian, we've probably got to pick the log out of our own eye and go back and say, okay, what is what are my talents? Have I got five, three, one? Um, and what is it that God's put on my heart through a period of time? And we've got to get away from... Ticking boxes as a Christian and having a a minimalistic Christian view, and and go for a more a prosperity view that God's given me all these gifts and abilities, and despite some challenges, I do want to dream, and I do want to do uh, what God would want me to do. So I think it's a matter of pressing back in and getting real clarity about the dreams that you've got locked inside you, and overcoming that fear and lack of confidence and being stuck. Now. Because the initial things will be, well, I've got a mortgage or I've got a lifestyle that I've actually been used to having. And so it often means that you've got to make some tough decisions and sacrifice and give up some comforts and just say, well, I've got my health. You know, some people haven't even got health, but we've just got to look at um, what I have. What do I bring to the table? And I, I find most of us can't work out this on our own. We The Bible actually again talks about in Proverbs, if you want your plans to not fail, seek godly counsel. Now, for guys, we're taught to be self-sufficient, independent, and not cry when we fall over as kids and whatever. And we, we end up with this self-sufficiency and winning syndrome, which I think is unhealthy. As you get older, you realise winning a, a team game is better than winning on your own, and if we can have people we can turn to who can mentor and coach us who are ahead of us on the journey that we can talk to and become a cheer squad. Because, again, at 20, I had a cheer squad. I had my parents. I had my footy coach. I had my work boss. I had a whole lot of people around me that said, my uncle, John, grandparent... John, you can do this, doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. When you get to 50, I found that most people haven't got a cheer squad anymore. They're actually worried about what people are going to say. Um, they're actually people saying, oh, I don't know if you should do that, Neil. What happens if you leave the radio station and what will you do? You better just stay there or working in the bank or whatever it is. But really, that can have a um, you know a fairly debilitating uh, effect on us if we, if we are not prepared to, to actually have a go. So I often say when I'm coaching people, pretend you're 20 again, pretend that it doesn't matter like a puppy dog, you fall over, you run into the wall, you pick up and you run again and start dreaming. And remember the excitement you would have, you would, you would not think about failure at 20. You think, oh, if this doesn't work out, I'll try something else. So because we're living much longer, because Peter Drucker talked about the father of modern management who wrote more books after 65 than he did before. He actually said, today you've got life one and life two. 120 years ago, the average age was 48. Now the average age is, is pressing 90. So um, many of us wouldn't be alive because we would have died at 48. So now we've got life two. So life two is all about um, learning from all your experience, like a game of footy. Um, if you're in half time, if you're losing, at half time you stop, the coach talks about what's not working, what we need to change, and you positively go into the next half. And I think it could be quarter time or three quarter time. I think that's the approach, and, and certainly spiritually, as I know many of your audience are interested in that. You're only going to look at Job. He tried things, did really well, then lost a lot of things, and he could have given up. But he stayed faithful to God, and then he got a second blessing, a supernatural blessing that outweighed what he had before. doesn't mean he didn't have pain. Unfortunately, because of Adam and Eve and the story we have, we will have pain in our life. It's more a matter of how do we respond to that and pick ourselves up. But that's why I really like it if we've got someone who can coach and mentor us or a number of people that we can run things past And it needs to be often someone, not just your spouse or not just your parents. I found that up until age 30, I was going to my spouse and parents. But I found I I was getting the same answers. Once I turned over 30, I don't know, I gained confidence. I ended up with a whole lot of different mentors in different areas, about three of them in different areas, and they helped me amazingly. Um, and one of them helped me get clarity about my life purpose by just sitting down, looking at my strengths and working out what my passion was and uh, helping and encouraging me and say, John, you can do this. You can learn to be a leader. You can learn to uh, do these other things. And I came to realise through half-time and meeting Bob Buford in Dallas 12 years ago that not only do we have life one, two, but time is more valuable than money, skill is more valuable than money. But we often use the money blockage to stop us, but time, because we've only got a limited amount of time. So if we can use our time wisely, and our skill is, is really um, not an asset when we're younger, but I think as we get over, say, age 30 even 40, we have so many skills that we've developed that if we're able to use them with our passion, Um, We should be able to have that joy and and shouldn't be feeling that I've got to do this job even though I hate it. There should be a way forward to either reinvent yourself where you're working now with a different attitude or go and find something that will uh, suit your um, gifts and abilities.
0: Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective, 2020. On Vision. Well we are just a few minutes out from Vision National News uh, John Sykema is our guest, Executive Chairman of Halftime Australia John there's been some comments on our Facebook post today Claire says if it's the calling of God that he has for your life then it will work. The economic climate doesn't affect God's plans. Uh, what are your thoughts for Claire? Oh,
1: look, Claire I, I think uh, that's a pretty good, uh, yeah I'd be in agreement with that the, the way I, I had problems in my situation because I didn't have my um, a business aligned to my life purpose. A lot of us are so focused on our career and our business and what we feel the call of God, um, we treat that as a separate item and do that out of ours and that angst between those two, the gap between those two is a real problem. So I believe um, yeah, we've got to get our business and career and job aligned to our life purpose. And when we do that, then we have that, um, we don't. We are not double-minded. We just have that peace and joy that we know we're in our sweet spot doing what God's called us to do.
0: And uh, we just uh, time is short, but let's squeeze in a quick call. Fiona is on the line from Tasmania. Hi, Fiona. Welcome along. Hello. Thank you for having me. Piano, what's your thought or question? We need to be fairly quick.
1: Yes, for sure. Um, look, I, I'm very familiar with half-time ministries. They came out of our church a decade or so ago, and um, I've been very keen to talk to John. I don't know if it's possible to talk to him off-air at all. I have sent emails, but um found it very difficult to get someone to actually ring me back. So it, it would be lovely if you could let the listeners know how we make contact with them um, and things like that. Um, I was emailing back and forth, but unfortunately, I was never able to get a call back. And I was wondering if it was... Well, we'll,
0: we'll was be able to get you good. connected. Uh, did you have a particular question or comment?
1: Um, no, other than I think half-time minutes is absolutely fantastic with what you do. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic.
0: Well, uh, John, there's a there's an encouragement there. Uh, somehow, or other, yeah. there was something missed in the con- in the connection there. But uh, but when uh, Fiona says it's a fantastic ministry, this idea of half time, the second half of your life needs to count. Uh, just a quick response there.
1: Well, if we if you go to info at halftime au, um, then uh, fill out the little thing uh, questions there. We'll come back to you, but. Yeah, great to get that feedback, and um, yeah, love to connect with her when
0: um, when we're able for sure. John Sycamore, before we go any further, uh, let's just talk about your book for a few moments because uh, you were under a little bit of pressure speaking at seminars, and people wanted to know a little bit more about your story because it is an inspiring story, uh, enriched, redefining wealth, and uh, doing what you do today. You've even described it as uh, it's better than leading a $100 million-a-year company. Uh, give us some insights here into uh, into getting enriched in the way that you've pursued that.
1: Well, I think um, I was stuck myself and, um, and felt a little bit paralysed. And I think I'd fallen for the um, people-pleasing versus God-pleasing and not loving myself. So to get out of that hole... Um, was not easy, and I I did hear a talk um, by John Smith, the bikey, who said, if I could find 100 business men or women to give me a million dollars each, we could change this nation. And um, my heart leapt. This was in a church service when I was in my early 40s, and I temporarily forgot that I had a whole lot of debt. The company was losing about $30,000 a month. I had health issues, uh, migraine headaches, which were very debilitating, sometimes physically ill. Um, And also, I'd I'd been such a workaholic, working 80 hours a week, I'd neglected my my wife and children. So I was not um, too popular at home. And um, so, I don't know, I I really struggled. But through God's grace, um, when John Smith said that, my heart leapt and I forgot about all those issues. And I thought, that's me. And I remembered when I was 14, God gave me... A vision. Um, when I was uh, on a golf course looking for golf balls, I was on my own. I remember this conversation in my head: that I know it's, it's. I'm so blessed. I've got great parents, live by the beach, idyllically. I've been to Christian school, got a great life. I can make as much money as I can. Paper rounding, golf, you know, fruit picking, etc. Why am I so blessed? I know what I'm going to do. When I turn 50, I'm going to spend the rest of my life helping others. In the meantime, I'll marry, have kids, pay off house, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, I forgot about that. I was a bit of an introvert. I didn't share this conversation in my head, which I thought was a bit odd because I was in a church I understood God and Jesus, but I didn't understand necessarily listening to the Holy Spirit or getting revelation because I was quite young. And then when John Smith reignited that dream... um, a few minutes later in the same service, I heard virtually an audible voice, John, I did not create you for you to be successful. I created you to help others succeed. And if you do that, you'll be truly successful. And, oh, I sort of hit my head almost like saying, oh, dum-dum, you got it back to front. So all of a sudden I got a download by the Holy Spirit of all the things I had to change in my life. And I raced home. Um, there was an order call and I thought, well, I'm not going up, up the front for an order call. I'm a respectable business person. This is embarrassing. But I raced home and uh, went into my study and wrote down all the things that I had to download on was stop trying to change my life to suit my success. Stop giving excuses why you can't get involved at the local Christian school or the church when you've been asked. Um, love yourself. Start taking risks. Um, read the Bible as God's business plan to me. And All these things just flooded into my mind. So I went home, wrote them all down, um, put them in the drawer and shut it. And I've been on a mission the last 25 years following that all through, I've just seen God come through in amazing ways.
0: So, reigniting passion for serving God, and you've got this book that you wrote some years ago now, Enriched Redefining Wealth. And in there, you do like to have what we'd call a takeaway from that that would be practical things that people can take up right now. In fact, uh, for listeners, if you've got a pen and paper handy, uh, perhaps uh, I'm going to ask John to go through some of the principles about making the second half of your life count and when we get talking about getting unstuck from the job you hate, uh, maybe some of these principles might be that sort of uh, reignition of that passion for serving God that you've had in past times, and uh, even at a time like this, as unsettling as it might be in 2020, uh, some of these things might be so important. So if we go through these principles, John, and uh, you said uh, you know perhaps a. Uh, Uh, listeners can jot these down. I know that lots of people will be scrambling for a pen and paper right now, but uh, let's start with some of these principles about making the second half of your life count in a different way to what it was in your first half.
1: Okay, yeah, well, when I was doing, been doing talks, people often say, well, I'm successful, but I don't know how to move from success because I'm not necessarily happy or enjoying what I'm doing. And I've got a level of success. So principle number one is change doesn't just happen we, we need to actually have an overriding desire to change coupled with unfulfilled goals and dreams. So that's my first principle, is really that change doesn't just happen. We need to have an overriding desire for change because if you're happy with where you're at, you won't have this overriding desire to change. And, and if you haven't got unfulfilled goals and dreams, well, so that's why a lot of us got to stop and take stock. Principle number two is, I believe we're actually wired to help others. And uh, it's a biblical principle that acting upon the realisation that I'd been created to help others succeed, which i got a, a Holy Spirit prompting here, not just helping and looking after myself. So that's principle number two. So it's really about generosity. Um, when we're looking at um, principle number three, it is actually generosity because generosity is more than writing a check. And um, I had selective generosity. I'm Dutch by birth. We're taught to be prudent, <laughs> Um but realising that we can, and I learnt this principle from Jossie Charco from uh, going to India and realising that we can actually have a 24-7 generosity and we do the sowing and leaving the reaping to God. And so it's a generosity not just with money, which is often write out a cheque and, and or put some money in someone's account and get rid of this guilt feeling, but also being generous with time and talents. That's actually even more important than money because some of us don't have money to give, but we could give time and we could use the talents and gifts. Principle number four, is, which is really important to hear because we lose this one, is there is actually no limit to your potential. Um, so... Um, We need to keep climbing high mountains. We shouldn't say, oh, well, I've got my degree or I've worked for 20 or 30 years, I can now take it easy or whatever. Um, So the the real thing is if we actually believe there's no limit to my potential, um, that helps us, us to lift our eyes rather than looking backwards or looking down. Principle number five is that, and again, retirement is not an option. There is no retirement having a second life and finishing well is is the thing. If you actually look at scripture, where does it talk about retirement? I think in the uh, book of uh, Numbers or Leviticus or something, or Deuteronomy, I think it is, it talks about Levi priests retiring at 50, but it actually says they're invited then to literally become mentors or temple guards. So they're still around helping and encouraging and whatever. So where's this notion of retirement come from? I, I don't... And, and Proverbs talks about idleness is the devil's playground. So this idea of stopping, we should be happy to keep working, happy to keep paying taxes. We should be happy to use the gifts we've got. Principle number six is there is actually no perfect time or perfect moment Um there is, it it just doesn't exist. If you wait for the perfect moment, it'll always be out there beyond where you are now. So sometimes, and this is about taking a step of faith, a lot of us can know the Bible, can go to church, we can do all the right quoting, but when we deep down, we have a, a, not a biblical view of stepping out in faith when we know this is what God's wanting to do and he will be our provider. Step principle number seven, which I've sort of gone through earlier, which is, accountability is your friend. Becoming vulnerable and accountable, get help. Look for mentors and coaches or advisors that are ahead of you on the journey that even if it's just having a coffee with someone regularly and say, could you just run... Neil, would you mind giving me some feedback? You've got to know me. Could we just meet occasionally for a coffee? That's got to be better than nothing. Um, And we've got to look for people that we respect who would give us honest feedback. So anyway, they're the seven principles that I believe can make the second half of your life better than the first, which is counterintuitive, which is counter the way the world thinks that, wow, I'm 50, the worst best part of my life is behind me. I've got to go and get get some facelift or uh, this tucked here and <laughs> goodness knows what. We we've got to do all this thing because if we don't look 40 or less, we are on the scrap heap. And I believe that. We look at some of the people, you know, Colonel Sanders. I think um, KFC. He he didn't start franchising his business till sixty-seven. Peter Drucker wrote more books after sixty-five. We can actually be more productive in our fifties, sixties, and seventies, and eighties if we go with all the things that uh, which are really biblical. The things I've I've given you uh, and shared now are all biblical things that are in scripture. So hopefully, that's helpful. Neil to some of our listeners, even if there's only one of those that you go, Yep, that's the one. I've got a blockage on. I need to change.
0: Well, no doubt there's been a whole lot of pen and paper activity happening while you were saying those. In fact I took some notes too. So number one, change doesn't just happen. Two, we're wired to help others. Three, is all about generosity. Four, there's no limit to your potential. Five, retirement's not an option. Six, there's no perfect time or moment. And number seven, accountability is your friend. And having gone through those sorts of principles, it's a matter of, you know, how do you make change? Let's bring into this, as you say, there's lots of uh, good biblical spiritual foundation to those sorts of principles, John. But let's bring into this, this idea of, you know, when is the time to move? Uh, do I need to hear from God? Uh, These sorts of issues around uh, the spirituality for the Christian believer who wants to serve God to their maximum potential, this idea of hearing from God, what are your thoughts here about, is this a sort of a super spiritual thing or how do you hear from God about making change and moving from one career point to another?
1: Really good question. And um, I think... um, I think some things we are, we don't, you, know, you find sometimes people, um, so I haven't heard from God, so they keep doing something that's almost semi-bad. Um, I, I think there are certain parts of the Bible that make it fairly clear on what we shouldn't do and what we should do. Like, even if you haven't got, you know, we talk about spiritual gifts like hospitality. Do you need to hear from God to be hospitable or do you do it naturally? Um if you see someone that's got a need or whatever, um, sure, you you want some prompting because you haven't got an unlimited amount of money. But I think getting some spiritual disciplines on meditating on God's word, which is not just reading, but meditating on it daily is a spiritual discipline, um, not just asking God for things that you need for yourself, but pray, trying to work out what I want to pray for what. What's on God's heart? What, what's, what's aching God's heart? What, where can I fill the gap? So it's a matter of, we want God's peace. So we we don't want to make a rushed decision and we don't want to quit. We shouldn't just quit the job that we're in. Um, we should keep cash flow going unless we really hear from God that I should resign. So my view is just because you don't hate the job or don't like it, yeah, maybe we've got to be content in all things. Keep working, but like in my case, I changed my hours from 80 to 50 hours a week. I stayed in the current job that I was in, but I I went to work with a different attitude. I saw that as my ministry. Rather than thinking I did my ministry at home with my family or church or somewhere else, but my work was purely to make money. No, I saw work as my mission field. I saw work as where I could be a Christian CEO. I could be a pastor at work. So so I think we, we really need to look Um, at yes we need to hear from God and look for revelation and have others praying and you know if we can get prophecies or whatever Um, but some of it is the courage to do what we know the Bible's already telling us to do so um, and sometimes the Holy Spirit gently whispers things and we don't have the courage to act on it and we're listening more to the I like the C.S. Lewis book The Screwtape Letters which is a humorous way of telling us wow the devil is far more cunning than we realize and he's out there stealing snatching destroying so so we really need to have our spiritual um antenna up because again i talk to a lot of people that who are ceos who don't have childlike faith because they're very good they're strong leaders they're great they feel they should be able to fix everything and when i say to them well, maybe you should just hand it over to God because the Bible says each day you should hand over your burdens to him and and you should be start behaving more like a child in your faith journey because then your daddy in heaven will... Some people look at you a bit amused and think, oh, really, yeah. yeah it's, so there's some mind shifts there that I think the gentle whispering of the Holy Spirit is we've got to be close enough to God in, in walking with him and have people around us encouraging us in that Um, But we need some people ahead of us on the journey who can, you know, we are talking the Bible about elders. We do need some people that could speak truth and life into us. And we do need the courage to take step of faith or steps of faith without all the ducks lined up. So some of us will hear from God really more regularly than others, or some of us are better at discerning the voice of God. Um, I don't think there's a black and white answer, but... I do believe that we 've got to use our head and common sense we 're not robots. we should keep our cash flow going and, and but maybe we can cut our hours back. we should start pursuing what god 's calling us to do. We can upskill i found I spent seven years retraining um, when I, I heard that had that defining moment when John Smith spoke i didn 't quit my job. I just went to work on Monday with a different mindset. And uh, I had to learn a whole lot of new skills and I had to take a whole lot of risks and be prepared to make a fool of myself. And just like in life one, we spend, I don't know how many hours at school, how many years at school. We might spend, you know, a minimum of 10 or 12 years at school training for life one and then do a career for 30 years. Well, for life two, I was actually doing it before we chatted today that I spent seven years between age 43 and 50 retraining. And then between fifty-three and sixty, I spent another seven years. But if I hadn't have done that retraining, I couldn't do what I'm doing now. So I find people do get lazy. They don't. They say, "No, I've done all this. I'm not doing any more training." And and we say, "No." So it's a mindset and an attitude change that I hadn't done public speaking. I had to learn to do public speaking in my early forties. I had to learn to speak without reading from notes. I had to learn how to run workshops. I'd never run a workshop in my life. I had to learn how to tell stories. I'd never been a public speaker. I had to learn how to write a book. I'd never written a book. Um, I had to learn to work in ministry rather than just business. Um, I had to learn how to be a coach or a mentor. All learning experiences. And I had, without mentors and other people cheering me on, there's no way I could have done it. So um, God will speak for other people. Um, so I don't have that sort of, it's not an easy black or white answer. It's just a number of things. But don't do anything unless you have God's peace. That's that's really important. But we need need to know when the devil... We're in spiritual battle. If you're in the marketplace, especially if you're in business, the devil doesn't want you to succeed. And we, go for, we, we think if we go to church and um, we don't give up the habit of meeting together at a Bible study, but we actually need Christian people around us in our workplace. We, um, we can't be yoked... Only with unbelievers in the workplace, it's very easy for something to quarantine us and ping us off sort of thing. So so we've really got to look for people that can speak into our life and encourage us.
0: Well, this idea of mentors who do speak into your life, you do obviously have to choose them carefully. And you said, uh, you know, sometimes we just rely on our spouse. Uh, maybe that's not always the best thing. Uh, and I, I guess, you know, uh, plug here for Halftime Australia because this is what you endeavour to do is to be that, uh, that coach, that mentor uh, for people who are making these significant decisions about their work and their career. And sometimes uh, you're dealing, uh, John, with uh, people who've got control of significantly large businesses Uh, so it's not always easy to choose the mentor but you've got to choose wisely some people will find that mentor perhaps in their local church a godly business mentor others will need to go at a higher level and I guess that's where half time comes in as 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 filling a real need there.
1: Sure that's one of the reasons I brought half time to Australia um, 12 years ago so we've now got uh, about 10 mentors around Australia, both male and female, um, younger and older. And um, we're actually kicking off a um, a, uh, a virtual, uh, what we call a halftime round table on the 12th of August for um, six months monthly group mentoring. So people who want group mentoring using 40 different case studies and tools that um, We've developed uh, through, in Australia, Glenn Williams, um, if you look on our website, he's one of our coaches. He's our master coach. He used to work with Focus on the Family and was a pastor and a psychologist, and he's also developed a really good leadership development program, so... Glenn and I will be running that for ninety minutes a month for six months. Plus, we do three one-on-ones, and there's a, a hundred-page uh, manual with all case studies in that. So, if people really want some mentoring, one-on-one in the group, yes, we can provide that through half-time. But as and just jump on our website, and you can find out that uh, that information. But certainly, yeah, often there's somebody in your church. Um, that you, But you've got to be brave enough to go and ask them. And we assume people are too busy or we don't know them. Um, so we, we err on um, doing nothing. But they can only say no. But it's amazing how many people, if you ask them, you've got half an hour for a coffee or a phone call, could I just have a chat to you? Um, you might be surprised. And particularly people who are semi-retired, um, They're often bored and would love to share the knowledge, which is at the moment parked and not being used. And your children don't necessarily want your knowledge because they just want mum or dad and they've heard it before. But other people haven't necessarily got access to the skills and abilities that you have and they would love to get access to that. So I think you've got a hidden talent Sitting in the pews of churches, particularly where people, um, walk closely with God, they've, they've learned and, and been successful, um, but really they might live 20 years in retirement and be underutilised and I think there's a massive underutilised resource
0: there Wow, okay the idea of approaching someone you'd like to be your mentor and on the other hand if you are that person who could be a mentor be on the lookout for someone that you can help and I imagine you've got to do that uh, in, a, in a cautious way but uh, certainly looking for those opportunities to be a mentor for one another and particularly when it comes to this application of our Christian faith and the purpose that we have in our lives and the career choices that we've made, and uh, to, in, in those ways, to align those with the purposes of God. Very powerful stuff. You mentioned the 12th of August, a half time round table, and the way you'd connect with that would be no doubt through the website, halftime.org.au. Uh, just yeah. before we end our conversation here, because time has run out, uh, let me just refer to the poll that we've had running today asking that question, given economic challenges, is this a good time to be strategizing about change in your career? And no doubt there'll be a few hearts uh, stimulated and stirred up today having heard these things you're talking about, John. Uh, but the poll as it stands, 54% saying yes, And 46% saying no. There is uh, that sort of hesitancy there. Uh, Some are filled with faith, ready to take a risk. Others saying no batten down the hatches. Uh, This is not the time to move. Uh, So there's some good real-time updates from listeners to our conversation today. Let me give that website one more time halftime.org.au. It's worth a visit, uh, read John's story more fully, uh, hear some of the the sorts of things that they're into at halftime, and you might be inspired uh, to make some real difference and real change to your own career uh, because it is inspiring. John Sycamore is the executive chairman of Halftime Australia. He's the author of the book. We've mentioned it a couple of times. It's called Enriched redefining wealth a great way to talk about the sorts of things we're pursuing in our careers but bringing that godly dimension in there so that uh, what we do is worthwhile john sycamore just great getting your insights once again thank you so much for sharing these thoughts with us today on 2020
1: my pleasure neil